0: Hello and welcome to Radio, a podcast by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. Is that right? Did I get that right? It's been yes, such a long indeed. time. I feel like we're out of practice, Rich. Um, I'm your co-host, Ross Drakes, and I'm joined today by the the talented and witty and funny and sexy and outrageous
1: Richard Monholland. Welcome, Rich. Thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate all those adjectives, even though I know that you're a dry dry, Ross Drake sense of humor, and every one of those is basically a, a feigned insult in the background as well. Uh, I love it. Uh, but it's really yeah, actually a good time to be having this conversation again. I'm really stoked that we've, we're taking the time to do it. I, I just want to go on record and say that I, I did actually receive
0: Richard's bio before this, and those terms were actually all in there, and it was part of his, his tech writer, just, just saying.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's important that we all have tech writers. We get represented properly in the world in which we, we live. Ross's was just uh, a beard comb. He just wanted to have a custom <laughs> beard comb. <laughs> which, which, by the way, he's not used. <laughs> I've not used. I've,
0: I've been locked in my, my tiny room I'm alone for too long. Uh, I'm starting to to return to the earth. But I think that brings That's us funny. to... To the topic of today i mean we have we haven't had one of these conversations for a while it didn't it didn't i think feel right um whilst all the other stuff was happening and now we've reached this kind of point point. and before we hit record, we were talking about this idea of the great reset or the the next industrial revolution i, I think uh, as a world we've kind of come through the pandemic and i am going to use inverted commas there now everyone's starting to try and figure out what's next so i, I guess that can kick us into the conversation you, you were saying some very interesting things about the the fourth industrial revolution and how you didn't really believe it was a real thing
1: yeah well i've actually done a talk of this in the past uh, i felt a I- it was actually Fred Road from Heavy Chef asked me to do a talk on the Fourth Industrial Revolution, and I, s- I hadn't. I started researching it, and I thought, well, I don't really agree with the premise because I'd never heard of the third or the second one. You know, at school I'd learned about the Industrial Revolution. Uh, I'd never learned about the second or the third one, so I was quite surprised when the fourth one. And they, by the way, it happened before I was at school, so the you know I was quite surprised when the fourth one was uh, sprung up on us, and it became such a part of common language. And the reason partially is because. That everything else has been somewhat evolutionary since then like things have happened because other things have happened and the other thing is that there was never a, a revolution you know where th- today was one thing and then there was a war and then something else happened you know like the world didn't change whereas in an industrial revolution everybody moved to a city and we industrialized things and we mechanize things and you know that was that i think though that it's fair to say though that something changed that we will look back at this time years from now. This will be a. a th- this is definitely a point that historians will talk about. I've got a, a coin, here I got, and it was a coin. And it's a twenty twenty, uh, coin uh, that that I got, a kind of remor- memorial coin of it. And I realized that no matter what happens, twenty twenty will be one of the most significant years that any mm. of us had. It will be a year that historians will remember, and it'll be a year that things changed. And I think it's quite an exciting time, and it makes. Uh, this is where we were discussing earlier. It makes planning for the future quite difficult. And uh, just one other thing I wanted to, just before we move on, it was funny. You said we didn't do it because it didn't feel appropriate, but we didn't record this podcast partially because we were busy again. You know, mm-hmm. last year we all became busy. Be, you know, podcasts were available when people, you know, we, we could do things like this when we weren't busy trying to save our businesses. But last year I got uh, sucked back into my company and sure. I'm in love with it again. I feel like I'm on a second honeymoon and it's a great place to be. So I, I've been so focused on doing other things that we haven't really engaged in this.
0: Yes. I mean, I fully agree. I think it
1: it was a lot of
0: internal focus and a lot of you know inward work and what does the company look like? What do we do? How are we structured? What are our products? These are all the things that were consuming our minds. And now it feels like that the gaze is sort of... It's like switching back again. And, and there's this idea of potentially some potential on the, on the horizon. You know, I can talk about Like, my- except
1: that horizons are much closer now. Yes. So that's the biggest thing that's changed is that we used to have far horizons. You know, we got to the point where we we're like having five-year plans. Uh, as you were saying earlier, it's, trying to get, it's hard to get a customer to commit to something five weeks from now at the moment. The horizon is three days a week.
0: I'm I'm very interested to see how it plays out because generally in our industry, what happens is anyone who's dragged their feet until this point in the year is suddenly like, oh no, <laughs> like I haven't done all of the things that I said I would do in January. Uh, and then there's this like mad rush till the 12th of December. And then there's the great sort of exodus. So I'm interested to see how the, the shifting timelines and shifting horizons is going to affect that, that mad rush. I mean, I'm trying now with our clients and even with with nice work, we're trying to sort of look forward and plan. And there's been this kind of resistance in a way. Like I'm so used to, like you say, like thinking tactically and thinking about the next few weeks and the next month and the next two months and the next three months. That this idea of like what is the next sort of three or four years has become a strange concept or foreign concept. It doesn't even feel, it feels like anything we write down is just a, a wish or a hope or a, a story. It's not actually a
1: real thing. But now I think there's an upside. I think this is a feature, not a bug. I think we've become so tactically capable. uh, Whereas in the past, we were strategically capable. We built on, you know, how long would it take to roll out a new software system? It would take three years. Whereas now we realize, well, hold on a second. You rolled out a whole new software system and got people, an entire banking system to be working remotely within six weeks or three weeks. So like, I know you can do it. So now we've got to do this better. Uh, but it's funny, we, your planning becomes difficult. I mean, if you were traveling to the, something simple like you wanted to fly to, to London. If you wanted to fly to London uh, two months ago, you would be booking yourself into a, a two-week quarantine in a hotel paying 40,000 rand for it and sitting in a quarantine, and then you'd enter London. If you wanted to fly to London last week, you would be going and you'd be visiting Ireland for two weeks, doing a bit of a holiday, driving around Ireland, going to you know, Dublin and Galway and all these things and then you'd be entering uh, London. If you want to fly to London next week, you're just going to fly to London. So this level of change in thinking to what we're able to do and how we're able to act, and that's just one example. It does make, you know, the world is changed that much that if you'd booked a flight, you know, two months ago, you would have made your decision about what you're doing around that so many, you've changed it so many times. And so it's forced us to react better, to say, okay, well, this has now changed. How do we behave? And my hope is that when we go back to being strategically focused, we don't do it to the detriment of the tactical awareness that that we have gained because I think there's a big plus there. And it's it's deeply entrepreneurial.
0: Mm. I think also, I mean, the tactics for me was also paired with, I have a deep understanding of my business again. Like I understand... resource levels. I understand the profitability. I understand what products work and don't. I understand delivery methods. I understand these are all things that we used to just sort of take for granted, you know, and you would kind of deliver them. And there was a whole bunch of inefficiencies, but there was enough profit and enough sales and enough people in the market to sort of ignore that. And suddenly when that vacuum happened, the, the importance of Really, kind of interrogating every single piece of the business became so important, and I now have much better data and insights into my company than I did, kind of going into it. So I had a conversation with someone the other day. I think NiceWork is a better company in every single way, except for cash flow. <laughs> like, if I could replace my cash flow, I would be uh, like a wonderful business compared to where I was in 2019. We have better margins, better people. Better products, better systems, better processes, better marketing. like It's just better everything. We are a a fundamentally changed business as a result of, of the kind of kick in the teeth that COVID gave us.
1: We're better in every single way, including cash flow but that's marginally because we were never very good at managing our flow in the first place. So <laughs> it wasn't like we started at this incredibly high base and came down. It wasn't like we're still, we're still consistently a project based, you know, we stuff come in and we get paid. And so, so we're kind of okay, but actually I would say we're in better, better shape there as well. And the reason for this is that, uh, we became that kind of fat and comfortable phase of a bit happy and comfortable is a terrible place to be. And That happy when you're happy and comfortable in business is because you become solution centric. So your business becomes defined on how well you deploy your solution. I wrote about that in my first book, Legacy, Whereas last year, it forced us to analyze the relevance of the problem that we solved in the world, because everybody was only going to solve for very, very real problems. There was no luxury. There was no novelty. What changed last year is novelty uh, was replaced by utility. Do I need to pay for the software? Yes, I do. Okay, well, then I'm paying for it. Will this solve a problem in my life? Yes, it will. Okay, then I'll do it. Does that software, software solve it better for slightly cheaper? Yes, move. There was no romantic. There's no like staying. You just did everything you had to do. So by moving to this phase of hyper-utility as a service provider, we had to be utilitarian. We had to say that we solve a very real problem. You know, there's a dragon between you and what you're trying to do, and we can help get rid of that for you. And if they believed us, we won. So we had to change from the solution we provided before to the, the reframing the problem. And it forced us to say how relevant is the problem we still solve. And mm-hmm. the, the bottom line is that some businesses didn't make it. And I, the idea would just be, well, maybe the problem you solved just wasn't that important for people at that time. And if you weren't a business that could change to solve a new problem, then you were going to struggle. And, of course, we had Andrew on the show uh, going through. He you know, had coffee shops running inside offices if you weren't going to the office, you didn't need a cup of coffee in the office. That was a very real problem. And, uh, you know, that's not to say he won't be able to do that again at some point in the future. But at last year, that was, a, that was a cure for nobody's disease. And mm. that became problematic. And so f- for us to go back to this problem-focused part of our businesses, I think has been very healthy. And I think it's, one, why you're in such good shape, but two, why your eyes lit up when you started saying that sentence about nice work. Mm. I think it's also, you know... It- you know we're in the the branding and marketing game
0: and you know between march and april you know not a lot of people wanted to market to anything they were just trying to pack their their stuff up as quick as they could and get home as fast as they could they weren't thinking outside of anything so our business kind of completely went away and there is a little bit of a an ego knock that comes with it when you realize that you are not a healthcare provider, or you know, like providing security or food or any of these kind of basic things that you do, you you are functioning on a higher up in Maslow's hierarchy. Um, and part of what we had to do was wait until people got ready to to kind of move back up there again. Um, and but exactly like you say, rethinking how we approach this and the the speed at which we can create products now and test things out and see if they work has changed exponentially where it used to take us years to to figure this stuff out
1: Yeah, i mean i guess if it was one thing i would maybe slightly challenge and definitely push back on this is so we on the 15th of march last year i wrote a post and the first line of the post says if you're cancelling your event I, i lose my respect for you because we could have said we were in the event space and the eventing game last year, but no, we're in the in the helping people communicate their value to other humans and and helping the other humans you know achieve their goals. And I think that was more relevant last year. I think businesses needed to rebrand and needed to understand the purpose uh, of their of themselves more so last year than ever. Now I understand that maybe that wasn't. Uh, the most immediate concern. But I do think, for, like a lot of businesses probably realize like, wow, okay, we've got to really, really be thinking about and partially why the work you're doing now is so interesting is because people are realizing like, okay, we've got to come from more than just this one thing. Like that reassessment went into the very, very heart of what they do. And that would have made you realize that the problem you solve is actually very significant. It's not a soft problem. it's a It's a deeply foundational one. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I agree with you. It's just in
0: that kind of moment of chaos, like no one was thinking kind of well. And some people took three, four months to kind of come out of that haze. Other people, it was like a smack. And uh, two weeks later, they were already sort of thinking again. I mean, one thing I find very interesting is that we've, the priorities have also balanced out where, where we finding owners and leaders of businesses are now querying why they're doing it it's like much more important to understand why i'm doing this and like questioning the fundamentals of it and their team is doing the same thing so a lot of the work we were doing that was focused externally on what is the purpose of this organization and how do they connect to the world there's now an equal pull in the other direction going like what is our purpose in this organization and why is it important to us is just as important in connecting those kind of lines and i think that's Is something that we'll carry into the the next, you know, kind of couple of years. Is this this reflection point? And we were talking before we hit record around travel, and how some of the the things that we just used to jump on a plane for are now not as, you know, the the kind of the value that we place on those things has has shifted completely. And I did a my first work trip to Cape Town last week, and I filled my calendar like very aggressively um because i wanted to to get as much value out of it and i think the word you said was like you don't want to give away your time and waste your time so i was like well, if i'm going to physically be there i'm going to physically do as much as i can during that time and get as much value out of it whereas you know last the year before it would have been like oh i need to do that presentation fly down to cape town do the presentation have lunch with a mate and fly back and that would be more than enough and i think we've we've fundamentally shifted how we think about that and i know you've just gotten back from a big trip to the the states can you talk about that a little bit
1: yeah yeah so i've just come back from being away for a month uh in the us and mexico and you know after jarring being away for 30 days uh after spending 18 months effectively in in my house and I I realized something, you know, it was great. We talk about travel and I got to go to a lot of cool places and, you know, meet new people. But you realize we have to reframe what we think travel is. Travel for me is something nice that I do with my family and friends. Business travel is commuting. It's just the, the, the length that changes. And I've fundamentally shifted my mindset on commuting. So, I won't just, I wouldn't get on a plane and fly to New York for a meeting. Like, there's got to be a a reason to do that because it takes significant, it steals significantly from my time. Now, what has changed is in the old world, we'd allocated time for that. So, you say you got on a plane and flew to Cape Town. I live 30 minutes outside Cape Town. But the other day I was booked for an appointment. I had to go in to see somebody in Cape Town itself. And that's a 30 minute either way commute. So I said to Bianca, like, there's packed stuff in there. Let's make sure that I'm not just going for one one one-hour meeting. That used to be acceptable. It used to be okay to say, well, I've got a one-hour meeting. I'll spend, you know, 30 minutes travel either time aside of that. And if you were a service provider, that seemed like your day. So half your day was served in the commute. Now, I've reclaimed my day. So now I only do uh, communication the third part of the day. The first part of my day is curation. The second part is creation. I then have an internal call with Sam who runs our business or, you know, sometimes other people at 1230. Then I have lunch and then I do my external calls in the afternoon. Uh, so now what's happened is I'm not filling my day with more meetings. I'm using the time that I spend in transit and also because meetings are shorter. So instead of being an hour, they're 30 minutes. I'm using that transit time. So I, nine to ten every single day is craft hour and I read books written by my competitors. I want to learn how other presentation professionals think about this craft. Uh, My ego didn't want me to do that before. And now every single book teaches me 20 things. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's incredible. So now when I'm driving to Cape Town, it's robbing me of that time because the afternoon meetings are still there. So now when I commute, I am stealing away allocated time that is no longer available. And that means that I have to use that time better. And I think that this reprioritization of time will change the way we think about everything. At time and distance, uh, they are the two biggest shifts that happened last year. How I use my time and how I perceive distance, because distance is how far you know my ability to communicate and to sell. We were doing five percent of our revenue from uh, 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 outside South Africa. Now we're pushing, you know, hopefully close to forty percent, and so that changed. Because I'm able to get into it. It's easy to have a meeting with you in Johannesburg as it is to have a meeting with somebody in Saint Petersburg.
0: Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, if we if I think about the clients we're working with at the moment, we've got um Johannesburg, Cape Town, Berlin, New York, um, and LA are all the projects that we currently have on. And the only thing that's kind of tricky to manage is that when you're working with the East Coast, their kind of time expectations fall into the West your West Coast. So you, The west coast so you sort of yeah uh, your your evenings become sort of up for grabs which is is a change but i I fully agree that there's this reprioritization and and interestingly i think it's also a lot of the demand has died from the client side so whereas you know one of our big clients sits in midrand and members of my team were there three days out of five in a week I, i don't think anyone's been to midrand in in a year and a half and when we talk to the clients, they almost even don't want to go back to Madrid themselves. They're quite happy to to be doing this and they go there when they have to. Um so so what do you think the the implications? So we're talking about this idea this that time, you know, time is important and distance is is kind of changing and in terms of where people are thinking, you know, their their sort of horizons of of planning are are also kind of affected. What do you think like, how are you thinking about the next sort of
1: six months, 12 months of of missing link? Our entire focus is uh, how do we live in rands and uh, work in dollars? And that's what we want to do. The geographical anchor has been lifted. In that speaking tour I did in the U.S., I explained to them, they're you know, they're so happy to be... Back to work and doing things like this. I said, listen, you need to understand if you're a service business and you're servicing local businesses and that was your unfair advantage before, you can either choose, because I'm telling you to go and get work elsewhere and you say, No, no, I'm fine in my market. Just remember that before you're competing with three other companies are doing what you're doing. Now we're coming. Now we're we're coming for you. And mm-hmm. we really can't afford to do work that is as good, if not better, than yours for a more reasonable price. In fact, I had a call with a client the other day. And it was a pre-call. It was a recommendation from somebody in YPO uh, that actually many people uh, here will know, that listen to this will know. And uh, in the call, they he asked me how much do we charge. And I gave him our dollar base number, uh, which was, you know, it was a lot more than we did. It was what we found was the market was ready for uh, we found with a rand-based pricing, and when I said to him, he said to him, "Listen, that sounds great, but we're going to, I'm going to get my colleagues onto the call next week." He said, "But you do need to adjust your price a little bit um, up uh, when when we chat to this crowd." And then, he, then he, he waited a second. He said, "Or down, or down," but yeah, he's like, and again, the price we were charging, I could like I couldn't believe, and and he's like, "Now you got to charge more," so it this anchor being lifted you know we talk about horizons my distance horizon has gone further and my time horizon has gone shorter that's the big swap whereas before i my my furthest horizon was how far in the many years in the world can i plan but my distance was can you get to my office in four ways within a 30 minute drive whereas now uh, my my time horizon is pretty narrow like we're not thinking much further than 6 months we have big plans like your b type stuff, but we're focused on a couple of initiatives we're working on right now, but it's all in service of this idea of living in rands and, and working in dollars. That's right. I mean, we've, we've gone on a very
0: similar journey. I think our, our skills are in demand in those markets, and, and it's now, like you say, easy to, to access
1: them. And it's and easy... And South Africans... Sorry, Ross. We're the easiest outsource, right? Because we kind of look and sound and think like them, as opposed to many of the other outsourcing places. When you deal with somebody maybe in India or the Philippines or things like that, it feels different. It feels like there's a culture shift. Whereas hiring South Africans, it feels a lot like you know, hiring Americans with a funnier accent. And for them, it's very refreshing dealing with us. And I, I feel like in your industry specifically, I mean, South Africa punches above its weight class in just about every creative industry award, at least is how I perceive it from the outside. Like we really do seem to have some of the most creative people.
0: I think it's because we live in such a complex culture and we live in such a, like a dynamic culture. So being able to communicate effectively in South Africa, when you go into a meeting, you know, and you're speaking to a... 50-year-old Afrikaans man, you know, in one meeting, and then a 30-year-old Zulu guy, you know, in the next meeting, and then, you know, two kind of ladies from the free states in the meeting after that. You can't, like, there isn't, like, a single kind of language that you can do, and especially when you're helping people go and communicate out into the market. Suddenly, you're dealing with kind of, you know, all these different layers which means your message has to be a lot sharper whereas if you look at some some of the political kind of communications that come out of the places like the us it's like it's super simple there's like there's like two drums you can hit and if you're hitting that drum you know 50 percent of the population will appeal you know listen to that and it'll kind of work so i think we have to work a little bit harder um to to make that that happen and i think kind of coming back a bit you know circular to to the beginning is i think south africans are also quite hungry like we are quite a a resilient nation and we like we want to achieve so i think we are all ready to sort of push really hard and when i speak to some of my my sort of uh, colleagues around the world that feeling isn't as there because if you look at australia and how easy relatively easy covid has been for people i don't think the same level of growth or kind of energy has been affected um, in places like that. So I think we've now got this sort of edge that if we've made it and we've survived, um, you've got this new new set of skills that you can carry out with you um, and, and move into the, the world.
1: Right. Absolutely think that. The other thing I think about being in South Africa now is that one of the big concerns that a lot of people had before was, you know, is there a future for our kids here? And like, how is it doing? You know, can we, you know, is it still worth staying? But actually, in many ways now, the future is way open. If if your kid is a developer or a data scientist or, you know, something like that and good at their job, chances are they will be able to get a job working with one of the big firms around the world because a lot of people are not so geographically anchored anymore. Mm-hmm. So you, you really are able to live in South Africa and, and work wherever. So actually, in some ways, this has been a great acceleration for the lifestyle that South Africa offers, whereas before it came, the part of the tax we paid is that maybe we weren't as connected to some of those big organizations where, you know, as Google has now said, working... Uh, from the office is entirely optional i think facebook has said the same thing all of a sudden that that means that their hiring pool and their net has just got wider and if you are the right candidate and you're sitting in mid-range you know all of a sudden you're not to be ignored i I mean i I I will say yeah trying to set up a
0: a a strategy session with one of our american clients and I flippantly said, "Oh, you guys should come. We'll do this thing in Cape Town." And their eyes like lit up. They were like, "Yes, yes, yes. We'll come to you. This this sounds like a, a great idea." So I think you can also leverage our location um, to attract your foreign visitors um, quite easily and use it as a, a competitive edge.
1: We're you know you know about our story to stage program, and we are uh, thinking about doing a version of it in Cape Town for a week and inviting speakers from around the world. Because it turns out that actually, for a lot of people, having a justifiable reason to get that, more people have uh, uh, visit Cape Town on their bucket list than have learned to be a speaker. So they may want to learn to be a better presenter or speaker, but they may really, really want to visit Cape Town. When those two oceans collide in this Cape, then that is a thing that we can take advantage of. And so, you know, it's definitely worthwhile something to consider. And in fact, especially also because being here is relatively affordable, and so are the flights.
0: Yeah, I, was, I mean, I was surprised. To fly to New York is going to cost 8,400 Rand, which seems ridiculously cheap. I think I spent 4,000 Rand flying to Cape Town the other day, so it, it doesn't sort of make sense. Um, now, now, I'm interested, Rich, you know, so we both sort of looking externally... We've got this idea of time you know kind of time being more precious and and distance being less. What are the the things you've bumped into now trying to compete on a global stage? What are some of the things that you've seen because you were you know you understand South Africa and the mindset and how to do business and how to present? What are some of the the interesting things that have have happened to you in
1: this process? So the, there's a few key lessons, I think. Uh, I think that you want to hire salespeople in the markets in which you want to operate. It doesn't even have to be the staff working the job of the salespeople. So you have to fundamentally change what how you think about remuneration. If you want to have somebody selling in dollars, you have to pay a salesperson's salary in dollars which might be $20,000 a month. And to get your head around, geez, like paying $20,000 a month for a salesperson, uh, that seems crazy. But when you think about what they're charging and what they're selling and what they're doing, it doesn't seem so crazy at all. If you are trying to still send your your local people out there to do it, it's. The, the, I do think there's some shifts there that we, we need to get our head around. Uh, but the biggest single problem that I have is understanding the numbers and the metrics. Um, the it's a different, when I say it's a different economy there, I don't just mean it is a different economy there. It's not like the dollar sign in Rand and we do conversions. It is a fundamentally different economy. And I do not understand the mathematics of that economy to the point that actually with her story to stage program, and I would quote said Africans and I could see their eyes raised because it was so expensive. And I quote the same price to the Americans and their eyes raised because it's so cheap. And we need to to understand like what is the right cost now theoretically you should say well you know just work out your margins and do the maths and work back to you. profit first you know go back but actually that will be shooting ourselves in the foot and the other thing that we want to do is we want to earn in dollars and, and and live in rands but we want to do that for our staff as well so i don't want to be charging somebody dollars and paying my staff in rands i want to be charging clients in dollars paying my staff in RANDs and letting them choose where they want to live. So hmm. one of our staff lives just outside London, and she, you know one of our staff lives in just outside Joburg. Uh, let's say they both get the same salary. That's on their choice, but I want to pay that living wage. We talk about Bristol and Boulder. Boulder, Colorado, or Bristol in the United Kingdom, we're not going to pay a London or a New York or a San Francisco salary but we're gonna pay you to live in a suburban, nice suburban lifestyle in outside Bristol or outside Boulder. If we can afford to pay you that way and to rebuild our business as if we paid our staff those salaries, then all of a sudden it justifies our billings in a better way. So it's not about increasing our profit, it's about increasing the lifestyle of all of our employees, and I believe the profit will come too.
0: That is, yeah, that is interesting. I suppose you're trying to break from, once again, break that kind of physical boundary again, which is everything you, you understand.
1: You want I mean, to be agnostic.
0: Me, yes. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think for me, the biggest learning, because you know I, I do a lot of the, the, the meetings, a lot of the initial contact, a lot of the sales, is getting used to the cultural nuance of, physically, of meeting people. So we work in Germany and the Germans like formality. And I'm, I'm kind of the, I'm grossly sort of like lumping people together here, but this is in my experience, the Germans like formality. They want to know an agenda. They want to know who's going to show up. They're very into like, what are the credentials of the human beings that are, are kind of engaged on this is kind of important in Germany. The UK is interesting because when you, when I, I find when I'm speaking to people in the UK, they, they're very amenable to your face. So you leave the meeting going like, yes, this is amazing. But there was a whole bunch of stuff going on kind of behind that, that facade that you didn't see. And then sometimes it was in your favor, sometimes it wasn't, but you have no, like I find I cannot read that meeting at all. And then you go to America, which the people are, A lot more upfront about what they do and don't like but they also are very poker facey in the sales conversations so you're kind of presenting to them and you get very little kind of facial sort of feedback as to is this thing going well or not i mean i had one presentation the other day when i was presenting and i was like this thing's totally going straight downhill and at the end of the presentation the guy was like Yeah, that's the best presentation I've seen in a long time. But his face gave me like none of that information. So it's kind of getting used to it—the the kind of cultural sense of it. You know, in South Africa, it's very much you do the informal chit chat first. You know, and if you don't do that, then you just get straight to business. Then people are like, "Oh, what's going on? Like, is this doesn't seem right? It doesn't seem kind of friendly." So I think a big thing is going to be this growth in understanding the different bands of humanity that you now want to kind of deal with because the cultures are very, very different.
1: Yeah, I find that when I started speaking globally, you know, I saw a great line the other day in um, Ted Lasso in season two. And they would talk about that he'd been to one therapist and, you know, didn't have a good experience. And so he didn't want to trust this other therapist coming to speak to the players. And the other coach him to him and said, remember what you always say to me, you know, all people are different people. And I think it's kind of true. And, that the, you know, some Americans are super friendly, some Americans are dry and poker faced. And what I realized as a speaker is that I could never play that game. I could never play the know my audience game. If I went out there assuming that every German audience was German, so my previous call was with, uh, with a guy who works in Germany. He works for Adidas, and he says 80% of his team. He had a team of uh, 30 people uh, from 26 different countries, and only one was German. In fact, they've not learned Germany German in the five years they've worked there because because there's so many expats in the town that serves Adidas and Puma and Things that um, uh, the, the, all the shopkeepers speak English. So all the restaurants speak English. So it's just not a thing. So I find that the best way to deal with that is to actually take control and to be, uh, make sure that all sales presentations, and this is actually to me what you did in that US meeting, is you just ran it on your terms and so you bring them because they're also trying to figure this out and if if somebody's decided to knowingly take a call with a south african business they're not expecting you to sound like an american they're actually quite excited to figure out how do south africans play and i think that what i've tried to do is to bring my audiences to my world because in my world i'm the best version of me in the room whereas if i try to go into their world i'm a pretty crappy version of them and i'm trying to guess And I think to some degree, that's what we've tried to do with regards to our sales efforts and working overseas. Uh, We don't pretend not to be who we are. And we want people to fall in love with the different culture of working with a group of creative South Africans as opposed to working with uh, wannabe Americans we're selling, again, to use the term again, we're selling being South African as a feature, not a bug. So we want to lean hard on who we are culturally and see if our customers want to deal with us. And in fact, the fact that they're willing to have a conversation, the fact that they're having this conversation in the first place means that they wanted something different. So that's what they've come to us for. So we make sure we try and give it to them. Now, I've definitely, you know, I think part of going through the,
0: the story to stage program is kind of leaning into your personality more um and showing up with that and I, I fully I fully agree with that. I like but I suppose part of my interest in 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 the reason I, I build brands for a living and and that is because I'm interested in these like cultural elements, these like these oh, yeah. things that that people humans are and i think it is a an interesting like space when you're able to sort of reach out into the world and engage with these different businesses because you know i think there's an opportunity you know if you find something that's happening in germany and you're working in other places in the world you can you can you know to steal an eo term you can r d that you can rip it off and you can just deploy it into other markets and all of a sudden you've got something very interesting and I think we're going to see a wave of really interesting product services businesses that take advantage of this and and leverage this kind of global opportunity um, in a very interesting way and uh, I think that's good for for us as as people as you know to get these sort of products and services presented to us
1: yeah, I think that's the, one of the big things that changed is that the ceilings of yesterday, you know, the ceilings of twenty nineteen have become the foundations of twenty twenty one. So mm. whereas in the past it was like this is as far as we could go. I think now we kind of climbed out the window onto the roof when we're standing. And there's so much new opportunity. Like a it's called infrastructure inversion. So instead of what happened in spite of, I think a lot of people are like, you know, in spite of everything, in spite of the pandemic, we're now able to do this. No, no. Because of, we mm. have to change our language uh, with adversity. And we have to look at things like this and say, what can we do now as a result of the pandemic? And I guarantee you, there's so many more things you can do. And I understand human life has been lost and there's, you know, those issues. There is so much more you can do as a result of the pandemic than things you cannot do. People are still complaining about the fact that travel, you know, and so many people turn and say, I can't wait to travel again. You can travel. I just did. You could travel. Like, travel is not closed down. It's actually relatively easy to travel. You might be harder to go to the one place you want, but I promise you there's enough options for you to be able to travel. There has been for a while now. But uh, there's so many, we're so caught up in the things that we, we're, 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 we're unable to do that we forget what we can do. And this goes to your mm. point of all these interesting, exciting things. You know, I expected to hear more amazing music this year from all these artists. They were at home, but I, I, I do think there's some great examples. And in fact, uh, what's that comedian's name? Um, he did Inside on Netflix, the musical, and he just booked an Airbnb and he wrote an album. And, and uh, Bo Burnham, is it? Oh, yes, Bo Burnham. Bo Burlingham. Uh Bo Burnham inside on netflix i mean if you haven't seen it yet you should definitely watch it because this was an example of that hyper creativity uh he booked an airbnb he wrote filmed edited produced conceptualized this entire netflix special because of the pandemic i guarantee you he created something more magnificent because of it than he would have written uh if it if it didn't happen so i think it's exciting and possibly a uh, a good place for us to wrap up is, you know, that's what we should be thinking about, is what is that exciting thing that we can now do next because of, instead of in spite of? I mean, I had I had a conversation with one of my creative
0: directors at the beginning of the week where we building another course. And I was like, I need this in my hands in three weeks. She was like, impossible. I'm like, it's not impossible. Just tell me how you think we can structure it so that I can have something in my hand in three weeks because I have an opportunity right now that people need and want. And if I wait five months that opportunities might not be there anymore. And it took a while and I pushed her quite hard and, you know, she left the meeting and it didn't end particularly well, but an hour later, she came back to me, she was like, fine, we're going to do this and this and this, and this, and this, and this, and this. And, this. and if you do all of these things, we will have a product in three weeks. And it is exactly Amazing. that, like that, that thinking is now being opened up. Like the possibility is like, okay, we're not going to shoot it. You're going to present it using Prezi video, you know, like, so we've cut out a whole kind of like workflow, which is gone. We're Go not going to do, do
1: these things. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We're not going to do any of that stuff. We're going to do it like this and we are going to do it like that. And we're going to build it on these platforms. And if we do that, then you can have it in three weeks. And, and that is really exciting for me. And I think that's, the opportunity for everyone is to like, what in your industry, what, what things have you always done that you can now just go, okay, we actually don't have to do that anymore. We can, do, well, we can do that in one scenario, but there's also another opportunity where we do something completely different. Right. Totally. Well, Mr. Moholland, thank you very much for our first radio in I think one year. It's maybe been slightly longer than a year, but it was good to, to catch up. And um, I think with that, we can close it out by saying thank you very much for listening to the podcast. We appreciate it. I think attention is one of the most valuable resources. And if you've made it this far, then hopefully we've made it worth your time. And if you're an entrepreneur and you're running your business and you want more information about the amazing organization called the Entrepreneurs Organization, go to eonetwork.org. I can totally... Um, Attribute a lot of my thinking and my philosophies on the world to some of the people and some of the experiences that I've had here so I can't recommend it more and I cannot thank any of our sponsors because I have no idea who they are because I live in this (laughs) tiny little box and I don't go out into the world and engage with anyone so thank you very much for listening and we'll catch you all in the next one
1: see you soon bye bye